The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, this is the last class that I'll be offering on these Tuesdays before my sabbatical. I am teaching the retreat over the next two weeks, but in terms of this class, this is the last time that I'll be here for a year or more. It's a, it's quite a it's quite a sabbatical that I'm taking. Um, Dawn Neal and Marjolein Janssen will be um, taking this class over, uh, so they'll be the primary two people who will be um, supporting this group. And um, and they may occasionally need to invite some other folks, but they'll, they'll be the two the two main folks for this group. So it's a it's been interesting over the last few weeks, kind of saying goodbye to various things and people for the next year. So there's a little bit of poignancy with it, a little bit of um, uh, well, for me, it's kind of this combination of of like, well, I'll miss you all, <laughs> and I'm really happy to be taking this sabbatical. <laughs> so there's a kind of a funny. Uh, feeling here, a poignant kind of feeling. So um, we've been exploring daily life practice in this last number of weeks here. Last week explored a little bit about cultivating some of these beautiful wholesome qualities, the paramis, um, a, a list of ten qualities that are said to both support our practice, both they're, they're, um, they're worthy of cultivation, and as we practice, they become strengthened. So that's, that's part of that very natural capacity that mindfulness has, actually, to, uh, as we cultivate something, as we explore it with mindfulness, as we open to it or curious about it, it, um, it strengthens that quality. And the other side to this very natural unfolding um, around these wholesome qualities is, this, is that as we are, are mindful of the challenging states of mind, greed, the states based in greed, aversion, and delusion, as we explore practicing with those and um, releasing those, which also begins to happen quite um, naturally with this quality of mindfulness, with this quality of curious, interested attention, quite naturally the reactive qualities of mind diminish and the wholesome qualities of mind increase. And another way that the wholesome qualities of mind increase is through the release of the unwholesome qualities, of the, of the challenging qualities. As those fall away, the uh, the wholesome qualities more naturally begin to arise. So this uh, this process of cultivating these wholesome qualities happens in many different ways, and we talked about that some last week. We talked about ways to support these wholesome qualities um, by being aware of them, like being aware when they arise, and also by noticing what gets in their way. So, you know, I talked about cultivating, oh, well, let me just list the paramis again. I talked about them last week, but the, the, the 10 qualities in this particular list, 
are giving, ethical conduct, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, love, and equanimity. And so cultivating these qualities by actively, you know, by recognizing them when they arise, but also by um, noticing what gets in their way. And so if we're exploring um, metta, for example, the quality of loving kindness, noticing what gets in its way, the anger, the aversion, the hostility, all of those things, what, when they, what, the, what gets in the way of, of loving kindness is that kind of constriction, uh, resistance of heart. And so that noticing, that very noticing of that resistance, that aversion, that um, non-kindness, non-loving kindness, begins to help the mind to release that, which creates the conditions for the kindness to begin to arise. So those are some various um, supports for cultivating these qualities that I talked about last week. Oh, no, another one I talked about last week, too, was... Um, kind of cultivating the quality by um, kind of modeling it, let's say. So I talked about cultivating patience when I was, I noticed impatience in my mind when I was doing some shopping. And I noticed that the quality of impatience was kind of expressing itself through how my body was engaging with the world. I was picking things up off the shelf and throwing them in my basket, kind of as an example of one of the ways that impatience was manifesting. The, the movements were quick, they were jerky. And so noticing that impatience, I began being curious, okay, well, the impatience is there, but can I act as though I were patient? So not repressing the impatience, but um, kind of slowing down my movements, consciously picking up things carefully, placing them in my basket, and that, um, that kind of behaving while not repressing. So it's an interesting kind of exploration. We are not repressing what's happening. We're consciously acknowledging that. There's impatience in the mind, but can I behave as though I were patient? And that kind of, of action with the intention to notice what happens when we do that, to cultivate that quality of patience, that action tends to have um, an effect on the mind. And in that example, I noticed that uh, within about a minute or you know, not very long, that the mind really settled down, the impatience really released, and then there was patience. So that kind of um, practice can be really supportive for cultivating these qualities. At the end of the class last time, I talked about another, or I just mentioned another tool that I've used a lot around cultivating these qualities, and that is reflective practice. And um, that's what I'd like to look at today a little bit um, how to use reflective practice, how to use thoughts. Reflective practice is essentially using thoughts skillfully within our uh, meditative um, 
mind within our within our daily life um, exploration and there's so many different ways reflection can be used um, so I want to describe a few more formal ways then a, a few more kind of in between formal and informal and then some kind of informal ways that we can we can use this in our daily lives some of you might have been here a few weeks ago when we explored working with um, difficult news, um, the news, you know, when, when news is challenging. Um, and I offered a tool then that is in this uh, realm of reflective practice that, um, that if you're finding um, a challenging situation, sometimes we can bring in a thought like, you know, a, a, a headline or something in a place and time where we have some space to really feel how that is affecting us, to really feel how we uh, um, are with that content. And so reflective practice is really a kind of a place where we're exploring how thoughts affect us and how we feel with those thoughts. How, what, what, so, so we bring a thought into the mind and we explore opening to how am I with that thought in the mind? And so we explored that a few weeks ago around a challenging uh, news story, for instance, to open to that, to feel into the, 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 the suffering, feel into the pain, feel into the resistance. That, that kind of practice gives us a space and time to be able to when we're using it for something challenging, um, for the space and time to be able to kind of process some of what comes up for us in difficult situations in our lives. And so we can use that kind of a tool with other challenging situations in our lives. If there's something that happened during the day where we just really lost our mindfulness, you know, an argument with somebody, we can um, use this kind of a practice to bring in um, a thought about that situation just for a few moments, call in the thoughts of that situation, and then settle back and notice, okay, how, how does it make me feel to bring that situation in? So often when we do bring um, thoughts into our mind, especially around a situation that happened. What happens is that those thoughts have an effect on us. So if we remember an argument that we had with somebody, very often the experience uh, that happens now, as we think about it, has some resonance with what happened when it happened. And so we can then kind of explore some of the feelings, the thoughts, the resistance, the confusion, the anger, whatever is coming up, we can explore it with mindfulness. And so this creates some support for being able to learn how to navigate challenging situations when we aren't able to do it in real time, when we aren't able to do it while it's happening. We can take some time where we, we, we set ourselves some time and say, okay, I'm going to sit down and bring that into our into my mind and see how it lands, see what happens. Now, this is not to think about the situation, not to try to figure it out. It really is this blend of bringing a thought in and feeling with mindfulness how it lands. And so this, um, this, we can make a kind of a formal practice around challenging situations. So, um, 
you know, the way I encourage people to do it around challenging situations is find a time or a place where you know you've got, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time, actually. 10 to 15 minutes is, is usually a pretty good length. Um, and set aside some time where you have some time to, to, to know this time is going to be for reflecting. This is going to be a time for bringing in something to into the meditation to reflect about, bringing some content in. And then uh, start the meditation with a little bit, maybe two or three minutes of just settling in whatever way supports you. And then bring in the thought or the content or the image or the story or the situation or, you know, the, the headline or whatever, you know, so this is the more general description of the practice. Bring in a thought um, that you are interested in exploring how you react or relate to it. Some kind of thought there. And so it might be remembering a situation that was challenging. And to, so start by doing that, like spend maybe 30 seconds to a minute recalling bringing that thought into mind to bring bring in the the person you were talking to where you were what you were doing what was being said that would probably be sufficient you know that that amount would probably be sufficient to have there be some kind of resonant response for you to kind of be curious about and then at that point, once you've, you've reflected on or brought that content in a little while, let go of actively thinking about the content in favor of noticing how am I being mindful of how the body is, being mindful of what the emotions are, being mindful of what thoughts are kind of popping in. So just a kind of curiosity about bringing that content in. What happens? And, you know, doing that, you know, sometimes it can be useful to, you know, explore that for two or three minutes and then go back to the content a little bit, you know, refresh the image in the mind and then notice again, let go of the content and then come back to here's how it is now, you know, so that, that sometimes um, uh, there can be changes or shifts in the relationship to what arises with that content as you explore this for maybe as much, as much as 10 minutes. And then what I encourage at the end of that time, let yourself let go of the whole thing and see if you can, you know, come to a place of allowing there to be a settling. You know, if it has been a charged situation, sometimes it can be useful to you know, let yourself come to whatever supports a, a resting or relaxation, maybe a relaxing of the body, um, a coming to the breathing, if that supports you to relax. Um, so, so at the end, letting yourself consciously kind of step out of the story and the reaction, you know, how you've related to it and see if you can, you can find your way to a little bit of more um, neutrality, let's say. And then it can be useful, um, you know, sometimes it can be useful following that to take some notes, to have a little journal next to you, not while you're doing it. I think it's more useful to kind of, you know, just like, just notice what's there while you're doing it. But then, you know, afterwards, you know, 10 minutes isn't too much to recall. Maybe you can jot down a few notes of what you noticed. 
that can be useful if it's something that feels like it's, you know, a recurring thing or something that is some, it's something that happens to you kind of regularly. Um, you know, sometimes it can be useful to spend a few days reflecting on something, um, bringing a, a question or a situation into our meditation for a few days running. And then, you know, just take a few notes after each time. And then after a few days, go back and review those notes. Again, with this kind of reflective practice, you're reading the notes and reflecting on how does it land. The skill of this, of like being aware with content, knowing, having a thought, reading a thought, something you wrote the other day, and how does it feel to read that? How does it feel to think about that? That skill for daily life is hugely important. And I did spend some time on one of the sessions. We spent some time on one of the sessions reflecting on that kind of working with content and working with mindfulness with that content. So that's, that is the basic skill with this reflective practice. Only with the reflective practice, we're kind of consciously pointing our mind to particular content. We're choosing content to work with. So there's some formal ways that the the Buddhist um, practice offers use of reflective practice. And I'm just going to name these, not 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 go too much into them, but because I think many of you are familiar with with the practice of metta, for example, the Brahma Vihara practices. Those are practices in which you, you know, you connect to your body, you connect to the area in the heart, and then you begin um, reflecting using phrases, dropping in phrases, may I be happy? Or may this person be happy? May this person be healthy? And so it's using thoughts. These formal Brahma Vihara practices use thoughts. And the practice is not just to think the thoughts, but to notice how those thoughts affect you. That's the power of those um, Brahma Vihara practices. You drop into the heart, you drop into your system while you're in a reflective or meditative space. May I be happy? Drop that thought in and the practice, at least in my, in my uh, understanding and in the exploration that has been beneficial for me, because originally I thought I was supposed to try to make myself like feel something there. But then as I began exploring it with some better guidance, um, the encouragement was drop in the phrase and see how it lands. See what, how it affects you. So this is a reflective practice. You're aiming the mind towards the content of metta. Metta, the, with the mind of metta, wishes people well. That's its nature. And so what you're doing is dropping in the phrases of a mind that if, if it were naturally metta-filled, it would be, it would be um, kind of in that terrain of wishing well. And, and we're not so much in that terrain. So what happens when we drop that phrase in? You know, sometimes we feel when we, we drop in a phrase like, may I be happy? Sometimes we feel a little bit of like opening and softening and it, it kind of is inclining us in that direction. So sometimes those thoughts can have that effect. They can actually move us in the direction of feeling something more akin to metta. 
something more akin to that quality of open-heartedness. So we might feel, you know, drop in that. We might feel of, oh, yeah, I do want to be happy. That feels, that feels nice. It feels like there's a softening in the, in the heart. Sometimes when we drop those phrases in, we feel the opposite. We feel a resistance. We feel, but I'm not happy. Our mind rebels and says, it's not, I'm not happy. This is not what's going on. It's a problem. And so again, the encouragement is notice that. And so this is one of the, you know, one of the formal tools used to cultivate some of these paramis is that there's formal reflective practices designed with some of these paramis in mind. In particular, um, the Brahma Viharas, like the, the final two paramis in the list are love and equanimity. And those are two of the Brahma Viharas. And there are formal practices to cultivate those qualities. The metta practice being that well wishing for self and others, using thoughts to wish well for self and others. The equanimity practice being um, a practice of bringing into the mind a reflection on um, how karma works, how conditionality works. I'm the owner of my karma. And my actions and uh, my happiness and unhappiness depends upon my choices, not upon my wishes. And so the, the equanimity practice has a different phrase that it brings in to, uh, to reflection. But again, essentially, these practices are using thoughts and then being aware of how those thoughts affect us. That's the basic reflective practice. And there's so many ways it's useful. So many ways it, it can support us. The Buddha encouraged his own son to use reflection. At seven years old, he told his son, you know, when his son was seven years old, uh, the Buddha said, you know, you need to reflect before you act. Is this going to create suffering for others? or for myself. So consciously, kind of like using that capacity we have to model experience, bring the situation into the mind before you act, and notice how does it feel? What's, what, what, how does it feel to think about saying that, doing that in the field that you are? So this is using reflection. Reflect before you act. And then the Buddha is encouraging a particular kind of uh, curiosity in that reflection is it skillful or unskillful the result what what would result from that action so that's another piece of the reflection there and then you know he says while you're acting do the same thing and then after you have finished acting after you've done something that is another time that's useful to reflect how how did i act was it skillful was it unskillful and so this, um, the reflective practice that I talked about earlier is kind of in that terrain of noticing um, after the fact, what happened, kind of how did it land. And so there's a, another exploration there with given this instruction to the Buddha, the Buddha gave to his son, um, um, the the questions could be so you noticing okay here's what happened here's the situation that happened and 
so noticing how it feels, what, what happened there, and then maybe a question of, was there something more skillful I could have done? Or was there something unskillful that I did? Did it, did that situation create harm for myself? Did it create harm for the other person? So that could be a, an additional reflection to looking back at, at what, at what, um, at those situations. So some other ways that this reflective kind of practice is useful or that um, it can be uh, fun to play with. Um, At the end of a day, for instance, um, kind of not to not necessarily to look back at a particular event, but just kind of in a place of relaxation, start with relaxation, just kind of review the day. Maybe go through what happened. That's what happened. And, um, you know, was that, so this is kind of pointing to what the Buddha talked about with, with his son, you know, after you've acted, review and reflect. Was it helpful? Was it skillful? Was it not helpful? Was it not skillful? And so as you go through your day, you may find areas or places where um, there was skillful action, where the, the mindfulness was present, where the practice was supporting you. You might find times where it wasn't there and, and there was some, some action that um, was harmful to yourself or others. And you could, in that point, you know, linger there just a moment and ask the question, how might my practice have supported me if it were available? Because that might support you in the future to uh, to have the practice be available. It also might um, be appropriate at that time to reflect on if there was some harm created, is there something that I want to do to make amends? Is there something I want to come back and say to that person? Is it, you know, so not to, not to beat ourselves up or, or judge ourselves because, you know, these, these situations are happening out of our conditioning. And so the, you know, the, the practice here of reflecting and reviewing like this, it's not to judge ourselves, but it is to honestly recognize that was skillful. That was unskillful. We might think of that as being judgment, but we can think of that as being a kind of a wholesome way, a wholesome discernment. Was it skillful or was it unskillful? And sometimes I find, you know, when I'm reflecting on something that was unskillful, it's very interesting to see how much the mind will um, uh, make excuses for itself. And so that's really interesting to see that. It's like, well, it doesn't matter that much, or that person didn't notice it, or, you know, I don't need to say anything to them because X, Y, or Z, or whatever. You know, so it's really useful to notice those kind of tendencies. And, you know, to, to reflect, is that coming from greed or aversion? Is that coming from delusion? And, and what would be a skillful response? Giving yourself time for it to, to, to land with, with what's here. So this is really, this was an, a very strong encouragement of the Buddha to, so, and I think of this as, again, bringing our capacity for mindfulness 
to our capacity for thinking about situations. This blend of thinking and awareness, thinking and being mindful. So helpful in our daily life. Another way to uh, explore this reflective practice is um, uh, to pick a quality, and for instance, one of the paramis. I did this at one point with the quality of sila. Pretty early in my practice, the quality of ethical conduct. Um, I decided I would, you know, use reflection. Um, Ajahn Amaro is the person who originally taught, taught me this reflective practice, and he described it he described it kind of like this dropping a pebble into a pond. You know, you're dropping, you, you saddle your mind a little bit so it stills the surface of the pond a little bit. And he said, with the thought, you know, you're dropping, you're dropping a thought in your, your meditation. It's like dropping a pebble into the pond. And that pebble will create some ripples. And so what we're doing in this reflective practice is noticing those ripples. So you can think about this as dropping a pebble into the pond. And so I, I decided to explore this reflective practice with um, a question about ethical conduct. And it was just a simple Dharma question. Um, you know, people had talked about, you know, the benefits of ethical conduct, but I wanted to, to kind of reflect on that internally, not through thinking about it, but through feeling into it. And so um, I dropped in the question, what are the benefits of ethical conduct? And, you know, the, the response that I got, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a surprise to me. Um, I did this reflection for over the course of a couple of weeks, and, and I did it in very much the way I described earlier. I dropped that same question in every day and made a few notes about what happened. And what happened for me that very first day that I dropped that question in was that I experienced loneliness. And I didn't understand that. But I just, you know, just having taken the advice of Ajahn Amaro, I just was noticing the ripples. I wasn't trying to figure it out. It did kind of catch in my mind. It's like, what? <laughs> what is that? to do with ethical conduct, but I just made note of it and kind of let it be and just watched and felt into the loneliness there. And then, you know, after my session, I, maybe it was a seven minute, you know, it wasn't very long, this reflective time each day. I, I had a notebook and I, you know, wrote down what I noticed, you know, loneliness arose. And I did that, you know, every day for, you know, about 10 days or two weeks, something like that. And then at the end of the time, I went back and reviewed all of my different uh, reflections, all of the different um, things that I had reflected on that, that, that had arisen, not that I had thought about, you know, that had arisen during that process of dropping that question into the meditation, what arose. And when I reflected back on the whole thing, I read through all of those notes. There was a click of what that loneliness was pointing to. And it was, you know, kind of pointing to, as I was reading through all of my various notes, there was the recognition of, oh, you know, ethical conduct creates a container with our fellow human beings where there's connection and care it creates a container where there's trust 
And when there's not that ethical conduct, there's a, a container of distrust. There's a separation. There's a, you know, people being isolated and lonely. And so that kind of, you know, created a learning for me, internal learning around the value of ethical conduct that I wouldn't have learned just through thinking about it. And so that, that, that's another way to use reflective practice, to bring in a Dharma theme that you're interested in kind of curiosity about, you know, how, how does this relate to my life? Or, you know, so creating a question that you're interested in exploring. And maybe, you know, another example of this might be um, around a, a theme like impermanence. You know, where is impermanence showing up in my day? You know, this is a way potentially to incline towards recognizing a quality, recognizing a, um, recognizing a, a truth here, you know, recognizing that impermanence is actually the way things are. Um, so kind of reflecting on what has happened during your day through that lens. You know, how did impermanence play out here? How did impermanence play out in this situation? Because impermanence is playing out in every situation. So, you know, that, that is a question that, that um, can be applied to any, any situation. You could pick, um, you know, for instance, pick uh, one of the paramis and, and, you know, through that, maybe reflecting through your day, you know, how did, how did, how did wisdom play out through my day? How did patience play out through my day? Just as a kind of a, a way to look at your day through the lens of one of these paramis. So I feel like this reflective practice can add a lot of creativity because, you know, it's like there's not, I've offered you some of the kinds of questions that I've played with, but I made them up. You know, it was my, it was my own, like, well, gee, what do I want to understand about this? Or, you know, so you're welcome to make up your own questions and explore, you know, how does that land? What do I learn through this blending of attuning to some particular content and being mindful with it? So, um, we're not going to practice this today, but I would like to encourage you to try it at some point um, because I, I would like to just hear from you the questions, comments, reflections about anything I've shared um, today. Just give you an opportunity to check in about about this, what I've, what I've shared today. Because it's, it's a big piece, actually. There's a lot here to, uh, to explore. Olga. I'll break the ice here a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I found it so, so helpful. I, I, find, I find some reactivity um, in my heart at, you know, knowing that um, – that 
you're going off on your own adventure, <laughs> whatever that is. And I find, oh, I wish you so well. I just wanted to say that to you. I have so, it's like, oh, how wonderful. I, you know, as a teacher who always got summer breaks, <laughs> I kind of relate to it on, on my own level, right? Um, and so I just wanted to express that feeling to you. Uh, and I, I, I just find all of this so, so practical um, and, and useful. Uh, so these ideas around um, sitting with a parami or sitting with a question have, have, I mean, you, this is not a new teaching particularly for me, but um, I find it such a great reminder and, and sort of the, <laughs> sort of the uh, raft as it will to, uh, negotiate the floods yes yeah and it it is it's a really helpful tool to negotiate the floods i mean because sometimes we've fallen off the raft you know and and then we can climb up back on the raft and it's like okay what was that like to not be on the raft (laughs) exactly right huh how how was that not being on the raft (laughs) rather than oh my god how can i get back on you know, more like, wow, this is what it's like being off the raft. And I guess I sort of have to let this in its own way play out to yes. get back on the raft. <laughs> sometimes that's what we have to do. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes that's what we have to do. So anyway, thank you so much. I, I will miss you very, very much. <laughs> Melissa. Hi, everyone, and I echo Olga's sentiments, wish you so much joy and whatever is going to happen on your sabbatical, you deserve it. Um, Yeah, I just want to quickly touch on how this has started to, you know, this actually, this kind of work, I think, started when I was on the retreat with you and the other teachers the end of June. And one of the things that I really came to realize uh, was when the mind goes off, it's like, and the question, it just came up to me is like, what is it that I'm going to go? The mind is wandering off to go think about what is so much better than that than what's actually happening in the moment. Yes. And it was like, really, you know, I mean, that sounds sounds simple, but I really, it went through my nervous system. You know, it wasn't, it went from the brain to the nervous system. So I've been exploring that. And again, sort of like, not, you know, like, okay, here we go. Got to come back. And it's, it's habit. You know, it's just like, oh, there's nothing really interesting happening here. So I'll go think about something interesting. And it's just a habit. So I began to kind of let it know that it was wandering off and kind of watched it. Where did it want to go? And it was like oftentimes like repetitive memories of things that were pleasant or planning, you know, all the usual things. But when I came back and really started 
when I come back and I sort of gently bring the mind back and notice it's like, there is so much happening in the present moment that I just wasn't paying attention to because I had formed this habit, you know, of there's, there's nothing interesting here. So I'll go off. And what's begun to really unfold for me is how alive, much more alive. I begin to feel because when I'm in memory and everything, that's just like a film clip going through the head. And we're not often so, so really aware of what's going on. I mean, we can be aware with those, those memories and that can be quite interesting also, but, mm-hmm. but um, you know, often we just kind of, it, we lose the mindfulness. And so it, the, the Buddha actually said at one point, you know, when we're not, I mean, it's not quite, the, not, it's a paraphrase. It's like, when we are not present, when we are not aware, it's as if we're dead. You know, it's like we're just, we're not really alive. We're not really here with the experience. And so that, that kind of recognition of the aliveness of the present moment, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll see you in a year and the work will continue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. Lydia. Yes, thank you. Um, Andrea, this practice is so powerful. Thinking about link the daily life activity with the reflection. And uh, so I have a question. When you're talking about the Buddha teaching Rahula um, the reflection, is the teaching to him that... um, when you do it, uh, when you act, before you act, you reflect. Then during your act, you think about it. Then after the reflect, and I mean, after the action, the reflect also. Yes, the, the teaching's got three stages to it. And the Buddha says, you know, before you act, reflect on is it going to cause harm? to yourself or others. And he adds, if it is going to cause harm, refrain from doing that action. Um, And then, you know, while you're acting, and I think this is beautiful, if you're doing this practice all the way through, um, you know, uh, if you've reflected before you've acted, you haven't been aware of anything in particular, you know, the reflection has not necessarily yielded something that like, oh, this is not a good idea. But then the Buddha says, you know, while you're acting, you know, Notice what's happening while you're acting. You know, just rest on the fact that you thought about it beforehand because you might notice something happens while you're acting. That's like, oh, wow, I stepped into that one. And then he said, if that happens, stop. And then he said, again, you know, keep going because sometimes, you know, even if you have done it all the way through, if you didn't notice anything happened during, you know, there could be something later that you know happened or, you know, you heard from a friend that that person, you know, had a, had a, you know, real strong response to something that you said. And it's like, so you learn after the fact. And so there can be, there can be time also to reflect after the fact, did it cause harm? So I had a situation like this where, you know, I didn't think so thoroughly beforehand you know, if I thought a little more thoroughly, I probably would have checked in with some other people and said, what do you think about this? But I did think about it a little bit. And I thought, oh, this seems like, you know, this is this is something that I can do that's useful, that would be helpful. And it was the opposite of helpful. 
And, and so, you know, a- after I found out how much suffering had resulted from that, I spent quite a bit of time reflecting on what happened and how I could learn from that. And I think this after reflecting is really powerful because it helps us uncover things that we didn't know. Right. I mean, I thought about it a little bit beforehand. I was unaware of so much of the context and conditions. Um, and so that's where, you know, I, I discovered that several of my um, teacher colleagues said, you know, if you checked in with me first, <laughs> I would have let you know this isn't such a good idea. <laughs> and so I began to learn and understand, you know, the value of running things past my colleagues and things like that. This was pretty early in my teaching career. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, so we can learn. It's like I wasn't beating myself up for it because I didn't really know the situation and I hadn't learned so much about the value of running things by my colleagues. And so, you know, there was a learning that happened. And so this kind of reflective practice can help con- uncover blind spots that we have. It can help uncover information that we, you know, we didn't know. It can help, um, yeah, support uncovering delusion basically so so yes before during and after and that also helps if we forgot to reflect beforehand we can still reflect after it's like oh yeah i didn't reflect beforehand that would have been helpful so so yeah there's a lot of ways to play with that teaching it's a very powerful teaching and one that a seven-year-old can understand but one that is really hard to put into place to place, <laughs> you know, it's a challenge for us all to, to put that, that teaching into play. Yeah. I, I really like to take that into heart and to start practicing that. Interesting. When you said that at that time, Rahula was only seven years old, because when you said I immediately thought my grandson just turned seven how am, am I going to, to, you know, to, to teach him that, to, to make him understand? But I thought, well, don't worry about that. And uh, I think I got to practice myself first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Buddha thoroughly understood it before he offered it to his son. That is true. 